31 days was either no time at all or quite long indeed. And to try to determine which, she woke herself up and began counting, then drifted off again and lost her place. Once, she had been thought dear, a treasure, the little red-haired holiness girl whose laughter sparkled like light on a lake. Now she stood outside the gates of her father's prophecy, asleep inside his house. Her hair tumbled across her pillow and over the edge of the bed, a flame. Only Hazel Honeycutt slept soundly, cats claiming space all around her. The proprietor of Hazel Honeycutt's used world emporium, the station at the end of the line for objects that sometimes appeared tricked into visiting there, often dreamed of the stars, although she never counted them. Her nighttime ephemera included Mercury in retrograde, Saturn in the trine position, a fork in the hand of an old man whose dinner is, in the end, all of us, the lion, the virgin, the scorpion, and figures of the cardinal, the banal, the venal. Hazel was the oldest of the three women by twenty years. She was their patron, and the pause in their conversation. Only she still had a mother, although Hazel would have argued it is mothers who have us. Only she could predict the coming weather, having noticed the spill of a white afghan in booth number 43 and the billowing of a man's white shirt as he stepped from the front of her store into the heat of the back. White, white, white. The color of purity and wedding gowns in rooms in the underworld where girls will not eat, but also just whiteness for its own sake. If Hazel were awake... She would argue for logic's razor and say that the absence of color is what it is, or what it isn't. But she slept. Her hand twitched slightly, a gesture that would raise the instruments in an orchestra. And her cat Mao couldn't help but leap at the hand, but he didn't bite. In the used world emporium itself, nothing lived, nothing moved but the air was thick with expectancy nonetheless. It was a cavernous space, filled with the cast-offs of countless lives, as much a grave in its way as any ruin. The black eyes of the rocking horses glittered like the eyes of a carp. The ivory keys of an old piano were once the tusks of an African elephant. The racks of period clothing hung motionless wineskins to be filled with a new vintage. The bottles, the bellows, the genuine horse-drawn sleigh, now bedecked with bells and garlands. These were not stories. They were not ideas. They were just objects, consistent so far from moment to moment, waiting for daybreak, like everything else. It was mid-December in Jonah, Indiana a place where fate can be decided by the weather. And a storm was gathering overhead. Chapter One At nine o'clock that morning, Claudia sat in the office of Amos Townsend, the minister of the Haddington Church of the Brethren. Haddington, a town of three or four thousand people, sat only eleven miles from the much larger college town of Jonah. 
The two places shared so little. They might have been in different states, or in different states of being. Jonah had public housing, a strip of chain stores three miles long, a campus with 18,000 students and a clutch of PhDs. Haddington still held a harvest carnival, and ponies grazed in the field bordering the East End. It had been a charming place when Claudia was growing up, but one of them had changed. Now the cars and trucks parked along the sides of the main street were decorated with NASCAR bumper stickers and Dixie flags. There were more hunters and fewer deer. And one by one, the beautiful farmhouses, now just houses, had been stripped of every pleasing element, slapped with vinyl siding and plastic windows. Eventually, even these shells would come down, and then Haddington...